Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Okay, today's sermon text is from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. The word of the Lord for us today. Uh, Anyway, well, this is Advent, and there it says the right year, Advent 2022. Um, And you can't see it because it's back there. Never mind. Um, uh, We're going to look at the... Our, our Advent sermon series this year is, is going to come from the book of Psalms. And I, I will admit, I haven't, I haven't preached a whole lot from the book of Psalms. And uh, sometimes it can be a little, a little difficult because they're not necessarily stories. I like stories. I like the stories that are in, in the Bible because uh, there's characters and it's just a little easier to, to talk about. But I think that the, the Psalms that we are going to look at this Advent uh, are, well, they're going to take us on a journey. And, and if anything, good stories are, are about journeys. And so what we've titled this Pilgrim Psalms, uh, the Psalms of Ascent. And there's a group of psalms within the book of Psalms that, that were used by Israel, uh, by, by pilgrims who would be making their way, their way to Jerusalem, uh, the capital of Israel, where the temple was, where, where Israel believed that the presence of God rested in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, in the temple, and so a um, couple times a year, a uh, couple times a year, people from all over the country of Israel would would gather together, and they would they would make a pilgrimage towards Jerusalem uh, to go offer sacrifices and and whatnot. Maybe, maybe wouldn't do it all at the same time, but uh, they would make this this journey. And one of the things that they would have done as they got closer and closer to Jerusalem uh, was they would have they would have likely sung or said some of these psalms. And, and so we're going uh, to wrap up our hope for Advent in these songs. Uh, we are going to take together, hopefully, a metaphorical journey, uh, a pilgrimage, if you will, uh, as we anticipate um, Jesus coming and the birth of, uh, of Jesus. Yeah. Um, so they would have gone together. Uh, it was hard to travel in those days by yourself. There was uh, a significant threat of bandits ambushing you along the road, stealing your stuff, uh, or killing you or all that. The, the Good Samaritan story in the Gospels, that that's, uh, illustrates that danger there. So they would have caravaned together, and they would have grown, uh, they would have had big, not big maybe, uh, groups that would have traveled together. I imagine, though, that as uh, a family would have started out from a particular town, and they were beginning to make their way to Jerusalem, they would have met up with other families and other groups and their pilgrimage, their, their journey partners together would have grown as they increased, uh, as they got closer and closer to Jerusalem. Um, by the time Jesus comes around, 
Israel's hope for a Messiah becomes just really intense. Um, for, for some time, Israel had not been uh, in control of their own nation. Uh, the Romans had come to town and, and had taken things over and installed uh, puppet kings, King Herod. He's, he's like half Jewish, so he, he kind of counts, but he's really only concerned with his own, his own wealth and his own power. So, so even when Israel has a, a king of their own at this particular point, it really doesn't have the people's best interests in mind. And, and even some of the religious leaders would have cozied up to the Romans so that they could well, they could maintain their level of power and influence within Israel. So I imagine that, that as groups of pilgrims make their way to Jerusalem, their, their anticipation, their, their hope is that God is going to send a Messiah who will, who will undo Israel's brokenness, who will bring about salvation for them and, and relief from their enemies, uh, from the Romans. And so there's this, this sense of anticipation. There's a sense of hope that as they come, they are crying out to God for God's salvation to come. Uh, while our political and cultural and social place is much different than Israel, I think we are still, I think, well, I know we are, uh, in a place where we hope and long for God to intervene in the world to make it right again. Uh, that, that somewhere deep inside that we know that things are broken. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, the problems that, are, uh, that plague us personally and plague our world are, are much too complex and much too large for us to, to solve on our own. So part of the reason we do something like Advent and, and late Lent a little later on in the year is, is that we are coming together as a people to proclaim our need for God's salvation for us, for our city, for our state, for our country, for our world. And so we're, we're going to, to make this journey, uh, journey together. Well, um, I want you, to, to, uh, I want you to, to imagine in your mind, uh, you can close your eyes if you want, although I know that that's how I'd written down. Some people really don't like that, like closing your eyes in public and imagining things may be uh, may be difficult, but in, in your own mind, I want you to imagine what it might be like for you to participate in a pilgrimage towards Jerusalem. Uh, we're kind of used to making pilgrimages. I, I said this in Bible study. Uh, so a, pilgrim, a pilgrimage journey is always a journey towards a place where we might make discoveries about ourselves, or, or the place where we're going is a place of importance to us. And I said that that uh, today, there are hundreds of thousands of men and women making pilgrimages to football stadiums uh, where they will hopefully anticipate a victory and they will raise their voice in worship uh, to the pigskin. Um, so that's kind of what I, I tailgating is part of that. Uh, think of this as a journey towards a giant Advent tailgate. I don't know if that makes any kind of sense or not. Uh, but I want you to, to, to imagine this. You are gathered together, and you don't have to imagine you're in first century uh, Israel, uh, but, but imagine traveling with a group of people with hope and expectation uh, about something that's going to take place, uh, about God coming into the world to, to doing something uh, significant. 
uh, I want you to imagine, like, what, is that, what does that look like? Who's, who is there with you? What's, the, what's the, uh, the mood of the group you're with? Is it excited? Is it hope-filled? Is it somber? Um, what, what do you see and smell and hear and maybe even taste as, as you anticipate the final endpoint of your journey? Um, so uh, imagine this, uh, and maybe, maybe it's important for us to imagine that we're going to Jerusalem and uh, the temple. Uh, but you're, you're in a group, and you're making your way up this path, and so the city of Jerusalem sat on a hill, kind of, and the temple was on top of the hill, uh, kind of the thing that you could see from, from far away. So you're, you're making your way towards Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, uh, the temple and comes into view, and somebody uh, at the front of your party uh, says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? So, so imagine that. You're, you're farther down the hill, and the persons, people at the top, uh, at the front of your journey are able to see that, uh, that site of the, temp- the temple or before you do, and, and they call out. They say, look, look, look up, look up. There's the temple. Where, where will my help come from? Now, if you're a good Jewish person, you would have, you would have been uh, told and taught and steeped in the story of your people from the very beginning. And, and so I imagine as, as we're making this journey, as someone at the head of your, your line calls out, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where will my help come, I imagine that like, the history of your people, of Israel's people, begins to, to play over in your head. You hear the story of, of creation. Uh, you see the formless and voidness of what was before God spoke it into existence. You see Adam and Eve and, and Noah and that whole thing. You, you, you see the story of, of Abraham being told that even though him and his wife are old and barren, that they are going to have a child. Uh, you see in your mind the birth of Abraham's birth of Isaac and, and Isaac's son Jacob and all of the, the, the children that Jacob would have that would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, you watch maybe in horror as uh, those 12 brothers sell off their younger brother Joseph to sl- uh, slave traders and Joseph ends up in, in Egypt. Uh, but you watch as, as God raises up Joseph and he becomes important and offers your family shelter and food in the time of famine. You watch as, as your, your family grows from just a bunch of small families into a giant nation. Uh, maybe it's in sadness that you see uh, Pharaoh being afraid of the Israelites and enslaving them for 430-some years. And you feel the pain of that, of that uh, that slavery and that, that oppression. But you watch in marvel and expectation as God raises up Moses and, and tells Pharaoh to let his people go. Uh, you watch in wonder as plague after plague comes, as, as God turns the forces of creation against Pharaoh, until finally, until finally, God brings up your people from out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, maybe you watch in, in wonder as the Red Sea parts and you and all of your family cross over in dry land 
you're finally fully safe from Pharaoh. Uh, maybe you, you wander in uh, bewilderment as when God's people reach the promised land, they decide that it's too risky and they don't want to go. But they go into the land and they sense too much danger and, and despite knowing all that God has already done in the past, uh, they decide, no, it's too dangerous, we're not going to go in. The God who brought us here is not strong enough to help us to live in the promised land. So you watch God's people wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until finally they do get to go into the promised land and, and they become a great nation. Well, mostly great. Uh, because Israel has a tendency to forget. And over and over again, they, well, they forget and they worship other gods and then they get, they get attacked by other countries and God raises up someone to save them and they do and God saves them and, and they have peace for a while and then they forget about God and God's provision for them again and then more, more slavery and more conquering and then God brings uh, a savior. That's the book of Judges, by the way over and over and over again. God's people forget what God has done for them and over and over again, God is faithful to them. You see, God give Israel a king even though God knows that a king is not really what Israel needs. But you celebrate anyway as you watch the kingship of David, uh, a man after God's own heart and, and all of the wonderful things that he's done. He unifies the country and establishes Jerusalem as the capital. You see his son Solomon build the temple that you, well, a recreation of the temple that you're traveling towards in this journey. You lament the fact that, that over all of these kings, there's only a handful that are good, that lead God's people in following the right way, and then most of them are absolutely terrible and lead God's people astray. It's judges all over again, except maybe a little longer cycle. Finally, you watch as God's people end up uh, invaded by Assyria and Babylon, uh, taken off into exile uh, where uh, they will be in a place that is not their own, where they will begin to grow this, uh, this hope, this expectation, this longing for God to come for a Messiah, one who is anointed by God to do God's work of salvation in the world. That's where this this hope that God is going to send someone begins to grow significantly. And you watch then as God brings God's people back to Israel, even though things will never quite be, well, will never quite be the same again. As you're running through this whole history, which you know by heart, because it's been hammered into you since the time you were a baby, uh, you hear a response to that first call out. And so, uh, verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I, you confess along with the rest of the people you are traveling to Jerusalem with that your help comes from that place that you are traveling to. Uh, but this isn't just any God who you are, who's coming to help. This is God the creator and maker of everything. I think this is really, really important. I, I think this is a really, really important confession on Israel's part about who God is. I think it's an important confession because it, it proclaims the fact that, that God is not just, we didn't just create the world and let it go. 
but that God in his faithfulness, in his love for what he created, is continuing to work in creative ways. That we witness God's continued acts of creation every time we see a field full of corn or wheat. Uh, we, we see it every time we see fresh fruit on a tree. Every time a child is born, we see God's continued creative activity in our world. Uh, this is the confession that Israel makes, that, that God is not just the maker, just didn't set it and forget it, but God is continually active, working in the world. goes on a little bit as, you're, as you continue to travel. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. As you're walking, you continue to make these confessions about who God is. And not only is God the maker and creator of all that is, but God is attentive. That unlike, the, unlike the gods around in the, uh, the area around you, that God doesn't take naps, uh, which is some of the gods. Uh, I think it's in, uh, we decided this, uh, in one of the Babylonian stories about the flood, uh, that the God who was uh, over that area wanted to sleep, but all of, all of the people were making too much noise. And so he floods the earth to, to drown out the, the noise of, the, uh, of people, right? <laughs> so, so God floods, uh, well, that God anyway, not our God. That's, not, that's a whole different story, right? that our God isn't in need of a nap. That our God doesn't get tired. That our God is always attentive. That our God looks on the, the brokenness and suffering of the world and sees it and is working to fix it. Uh, verse 5 then. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you from, keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. Uh, one of the things that, that you might notice in, in this particular part of the, the psalm, the, the last part, it moves from, it moves from first person, singular, I. Where does my help come from? to a second person, you. And, and this puzzled me for a little bit this week. Uh, why, would, why would we have a shift in, in language where my help comes from the Lord and then all of a sudden the psalmist is saying, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. I think part of what's happening here is, is that we have made this confession about who God is, creator and maker of everything, of, of sustainer, one who is always attentive and now we are, well, we are voicing God's promises to us, to each other. I don't know. It, uh, okay, so my children like to run. Well, maybe some of them like to run. Uh, they're in cross country. And, and so every once in a while, I will try to, to run with them. And, uh, and sometimes you just need to offer some encouragement, Right? Like someone, you're going on a journey together, you're running and you have a destination and, and you're, you're trying to get to the, the goal of your run 
And sometimes you just need to stop and say to the person beside you, if they are struggling, you got this. You're going to make it. Don't give up. Just go on. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. That's not, that's finding Nemo. That's a, I think, I think what happens in, in the second part of this psalm is that we've made confessions about who God is and now we are reminding each other in the midst of our journey together what it is that God has promised to us. The Lord is your helper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep you going out and you're coming in from this time forevermore. This is, this is part of what it is to be, to be church, to be a community together that, that as we move through life together, as we journey towards Advent and the birth of our Messiah, that we remind each other that the Lord is your helper. I, I think we would need that reminder. I know we need that reminder. Because if, if running a race is hard and you need reminder that, that you, you can do it, and that's just a small, simple little thing, and life is so much more complicated and fraught with danger, the second thing I, I believe is happening is that we are reminding each other about who God is, who's creator and maker of the world, as one whose creative power is continuing to work to, to reshape and restore and redeem. But I think that this, this psalm calls us then to remind the world around us of who God is. Uh, that we might then be able to come beside our friends and our family and our, our co-workers who are in the midst of terrible spots and to say, in hope, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep you going out and coming in. That our job as people who our faithful followers of Christ is to remind the world about who the creator of the world is. Now you will say, and this is where this gets troublesome, verse 8, verse 7 and verse 8, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. I, you say, okay, okay, okay. Yes, I believe that but then why does all this awful stuff keep happening? Why has evil befallen my family? Why have I succumbed to this illness? Why are all of my relationships a wreck? And I think it's just really easy to say, maybe. Well, that's what we believe, and maybe something's wrong with you, that God isn't doing this for you. I don't think that's it, though. I think Israel understood 
as they were making their way towards Jerusalem, as they were viewing the temple for the first time on their, their journey, that they knew at the very heart of their beings that things were not right. But yet they have this hope and this anticipation that God is coming to make all things right. And it is rooted not in anything, well, not anything that we can do, but it is rooted in the fact that the God who created the entire world is still at work. That, that our hope, our hope for what comes next, our hope for God's restoration of the world, for, for the end of time, for our ultimate healing, even if that comes in death, our hope is rooted in the continuing creative power of God. I, there's a, I always mess up this quote. Um, I think it's Romans. We've said it a couple of times. Uh, but Israel's hope is rooted in a God who calls things to life that did not exist. I'm messing that up. I'll memorize it one of these days. Our hope, even when it is not yet realized, as it is not, even now, nevertheless is rooted in the God who spoke the world into existence. It is rooted in the God who continues to hold our world together, even as we try to fly it apart back into the chaos from which it came. that our hope is rooted in the fact that we can still see God working in redemptive and restorative ways even now. We see it in the lives of people who have been addicted to things and are no longer. We see it in the lives of people who have had cancer but do not now have cancer. We see it in the lives of people who have done everything they possibly can to ruin all of their relationships And yet, through the creative power of God, has begun to reconcile those relationships, to mend, to bring back, to be whole again. I think, I know, uh, that this is our hope is rooted in the God who created us and continues to sustain us. And I think if we look deep enough inside, we could name the places in our own lives, in our own journeys, where God's creative power has brought us to, to restoration. Part of my job, I think, is... Uh, is to ask questions. I, sometimes, sometimes people think that pastors should have all of the answers. And I learned very early on, as I tried to teach teenagers, that very rarely do I have the answer. <laughs> I, my job is to ask us the right questions about who God is. Uh, what God is doing, what God is wanting to do through us. Uh, 
it's my job to ask us questions about our, our imagination. What if? What if we lived in this particular way? What if we really believed this to be the truth? So I have a whole bunch of questions. <laughs> They're not on the slides. I'm just going to read them to you because there's too many. What would happen if the story of God's faithfulness was always at the forefront of our minds? What, if, what would happen if we really believed that our help comes from the Lord instead of thinking we're strong enough to handle things on our own? This is constantly Israel's problem, by the way. They always believe that they can do it themselves, and they always fail. I think it's our common problem as well, at least speaking from my own experience. What would happen if we truly believed that the one who was ready to help us was truly the maker of heaven and earth? What, what if we really confessed along with Israel, ah, my, my help comes from the Lord, the maker and creator of the world, the heavens and the earth? What would happen if we believed that God's creative power didn't stop on day six of creation, but that God is actively involved in creating newness in the middle of our worn-out world? What would happen if we, we truly believed that the way the world is now is not the way that it should, that it will always be? What would happen if we believed that God was ever vigilant, standing guard over God's people? What would happen if we believed that God would keep us from evil if only we rested in God's continuing creative power? I will be the first to tell you that being a Christian does not mean that you'll be safe from everything or that you'll have an amazing life full of riches and things. But when we rest in God's continuing creative power, God tends to us and cares for us and sustains us. What would happen if we believed that God would be with us in our going and going to and fro all over the place? Uh, what if we believed that God was really with us all the time? That we have, that, we, that God is near enough for us to speak in times of desperation, in times of trouble, in times of sorrow, that we might be able to say to the God of the universe, what gives? <laughs> Why this? Why me? Why don't you fix it? By the way, we'll encounter some of that language as we go as we go forward uh, this Advent. So I hope that as we journey towards Christmas together, that we would take these confessions about who God is and we would make them our own. Uh, that we might say together, where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord the maker and creator of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Dear Lord, 
we confess um, that most of the time we do not lift our eyes to see that you are readily there to come uh, to our help. Uh, we confess that uh, maybe we don't know the story of your unlimited faithfulness to your people. Uh, that we confess that we find it hard to imagine that you remain faithful even as even as we fail and forget over and over again. Uh, we confess that we have a hard time reminding the people next to us that our help comes from you. Uh, that we don't often do a good job encouraging our brothers and sisters on in the journey towards faithfulness and Christ-likeness. Lord, we confess that we don't often believe in the way that we should. We confess that we do not readily rest in your ongoing creative power. We confess our lack of hope and you're coming again to make all things right. We, as we confess these things, we ask that you would well, help us to start anew. Uh, that as we undertake this journey towards celebrating your, your birth in our world, that you're coming, the beginning of your coming salvation. Uh, we ask that that you would help us to journey together. That we would confess your lordship and that we would encourage each other for the sake of encouraging the world around us as well. Lord, help us to pray and to mean it. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Be with us as we uh, receive this meal in just a minute. Uh, your supper. Uh, we ask that it would be um, not just a remembrance of your faithfulness, but that it would be a source of strength and nourishment for the journey that we have in the coming weeks. We ask that you would reveal yourself to us in ever new ways through this meal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.